So welcome everybody back to the Depressed Salesman podcast. Today we're going to have another authentic conversation about the intersection of mental health and well-being and sales results. We're lucky today to have a great guest, Glenn Jessup. He is currently a realtor in Vancouver, Canada, and uh, he has quite a journey though through his career. So welcome, Glenn. Thanks for taking the time. Hey, thanks, Mike. Uh, great to be here. Uh, love what you're doing and uh, looking forward to the session today. So yeah, uh, it has been a long journey. Came out of uh, school back in, uh, let's say, the early 90s <laughs> and uh, had a business degree um, and started just kind of odd, odd and end jobs, working in uh, administration for a radio station. I worked in banking for a while. I got a lot of kind of varied experience before I landed with uh, Sleeman Breweries, um, one of the major breweries here in Canada. Um, that journey took me down a road into marketing, which I, I quite enjoyed. Uh, we represented uh, global brands in Canada and then uh, was able to kind of work my way up the ladder there. Yeah, the next turn from there was into real estate. So taking all that experience from the different uh, jobs and combining it all together and being able to work one on one with uh, with families and people to to find their next home or or to sell their sell their place. So you didn't have uh, a background or an education in marketing. You just worked your way up the ladder and ended up becoming director of a major brewery. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, um, you know, obviously in the business degree we covered off marketing, but very kind of um, surface stuff. The experience you get in the company and the connections you have to be able to kind of move around are, are vital. So I was able to kind of start working on small projects, whether it was kind of just showing up at events or, or planning part of it I, when I was on the administrative side. And then when the opportunities came up on the, on the actual brand side, um, I started at a low level, but uh, I really enjoyed that and um, the experience you gain by going through the, all the tiers um, mm -hmm. is instrumental because you understand when, when you are leading a team, you understand all the different components and what it's going to take to be successful. Sales and marketing, it's an interesting connection. Like there's definitely a direct link between the two, but then it seems that in a lot of companies, they're quite separate, um, almost combative in some situations. Yeah. Um, what What is the experience when you're the director of marketing related to the sales uh, of the product in the company? Yeah, they, they're really intertwined, Mike, um, which I'm sure you've seen and your listeners have seen over the years. And like you said, there is some, let's start with the combativeness. Um, okay. You know, the, the, the marketing team, is like holding up the brand that you're selling like this, you know, fragile ball. You want it represented in a certain way. You want sales team to be speaking about it, selling it in, in, a, in an exact way to keep that equity there. Um, because the, it's the equity in the brand that differentiates you. If, if you don't have that differentiation, you're just selling based on price. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where the marketing side is coming from, from the sales guys. They're looking at like, I got to make my bonus. I got to hit my numbers, like what I, whatever I need to do to push this volume through. So I think that's often where the conflict arises is the, 
um, is in that zone. In terms of um, where we were able to kind of find that middle ground, it was again through relationships with coworkers and, and good conversations. So I understood where they were coming from. They understood where I was coming from, um, and we would we would work together. But there's definitely a huge component of sales in the marketing world. Um, you know, in, in any business world, you're you're selling stuff. Um, whether that's to key accounts or new product okay. introduction, whatever. So yeah, it's it's always it always exists. The intriguing part about uh, kind of the connection of sales and marketing, in my experience, always on the sales end, uh, never on the marketing end. But I I felt like I had an appreciation for for the brand and what we were trying to do in the bigger picture. But sales becomes the attempt at the practical application of the idea of marketing, if you will, you know, and yeah. I, I think that that's where, uh, where some of that challenge comes like marketing is definitely a, a global view. Um, whereas the individual salesperson in their territory, they have different concerns, but uh, trying to practically apply an idea is always challenging like there's always some disconnect between what's going to happen on a day-to-day basis in the trenches versus how the concept is conceived of, if you will. How do you marry those two together? Yeah, the best analogy I ever heard was uh, like marketing is the air cover and sales is the the foot on, feet on the ground, like the hand-to-hand um, battle. Um, and I think about a brand like Tops Blue Ribbon, which we represented when it's going perfectly, like the air cover is great, good media, it's desired brand, people are talking about it. That's the air cover. And on the street, these guys are making inways by selling in more displays, uh, better shelf facings, all these kind of things that, that help out the brand as well. So when you can hit that kind of symmetry, that's when, uh, you know, business has lots of success. So now, now that you've gotten into realty, is, is this your your first kind of direct uh, sales position that you've experienced in your career? Or? Yeah, I don't. Um, you know, there's sales element again in everything. Um, back to the marketing, we would pitch kind of chain accounts, key accounts together because um, there would be a marketing component in sales. So moving on to real estate. Yeah, it's that direct, and it's the reason I got into it, is that direct kind of selling or connection with people. Um, I'm hesitant to use the word sales because, you know, I'm not going to talk someone into buying a home in a 30-second or 30-minute uh, discussion. Um, okay. It's more about being top of mind uh, when that purchase decision is about to be made. And I think that could define sales, right? It's like when someone is ready to do a PO or when they have a need, then your person, your brand, your sales team comes to mind. I mean, some some might argue that uh, there isn't a lot of selling that happens in in a real estate market like Vancouver. I mean, they just kind of sell themselves in this day and age, don't they? Or... <laughs> what a guy, what a guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, again, it's uh, it's being a chaperone. Like, it's, it's the biggest purchase decision of your life. I know you've heard that a bunch of times. Um, a lot can go left and right. There's a lot of emotions involved. Um, so a lot of times my role is just to kind of 
hold the hand of people through the process, clear all the smoke and the noise and get them to kind of make a decision, uh, an informed decision based on on where they want to be. It's interesting you say top of mind, though, is kind of the the goal um, and then being being able to take advantage of that recognition that you've created for yourself when the time comes to actually get involved with the the process. And when when I first started selling uh, in business to business sales distribution, that was kind of the training that I received, if you will. It was, here's a list of accounts, here's a price list and a set of products, go out there and get people to like you. And when they need X products, they'll call you because you've you've put in this groundwork. There's something to that, but I think that it can get a lot more in depth in terms of an actual set of tasks and activities that that generate the business. It's more than just building relationships and getting people to like you, don't you think? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think anyone who's good at sales understands the concept of winning the client's heart first and trust, you know, trust is thrown around, but win their heart and the business will come like that's the fundamental piece, but you need the processes to, to make that happen. Like you, you can't just throw it against the wall and then kind of hope it sticks because there's so many loophole or potholes there. You're, you're going to gravitate to the people you love <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and spend a bunch of time with them. You're not going to have a process that gets you in front of, you know, the, the other people or new people to, to expand the business. What, what does uh, the, I mean, in the role of a realtor, you're, you're essentially an entrepreneur. You, you have an association with McDonald Realty. Um, but you're working for yourself. You're you're responsible for creating it all yourself at some level. What what does that process look like for you? How how do you generate the opportunities? You know, how do you sell one dollar? How does it begin for you? Yeah, um, you're right. You you are an entrepreneur, so you are the CEO, but you're also the janitor. So yeah. Um, you know, the process is really um, something I took from the years in business. And it, it starts with some sort of vision, the why you're doing this, why are you getting up every day? Um, and then it filters down to, okay, what are my goals this year? And I know a lot of people struggle with kind of formulating that forward thinking because they're kind of like, well, how or, or why does it matter? Um, but that vision of where you're going and then breaking that down to, okay, what's the activities that are going to get me there? So that could look like a monthly calendar of promotions that I'm going to be running. Um, the next step down from that is, you know, through a CRM tool or whatever tool you use, you need that consistent connection with people. Um, so mm-hmm. that's a key component. Um, and then another level is then the support around it. So like the social media, the communication, the monthly newsletters, that's kind of the air cover I talked about earlier, where Mm -hmm. you're kind of having this regular drip on people. So they remember that you're there, um, but it's not necessarily that kind of hand-to-hand selling that that would occur kind of when you're having discussions or when the the moment comes that they're ready to to buy or sell. And I I think the, the struggle 
that you mentioned that some salespeople have with building that out. Like to me, it sounds like you're almost re-engineering a business plan uh, every year to, to go into the market with. It's kind of that uh, you've described it to me before as that sort of reverse pyramid model, you know, big picture down to the finite details of, of what you're actually doing on a daily basis. I think that uh, a lot of salespeople get tripped up in the how many, you know, sales is all about the the how many compared to the budget compared to last year compared to what your goal is this year. And I think that that causes a focus in an area that's very difficult to control. You know, we can control the inputs that, that we take with our time throughout the year. Um, we can control the decision making inside of the business plan and how we attack it. But it's really easy to shift your focus towards, I, I got to sell more. I, I got to. And, you know, I think that a lot of salespeople struggle to understand how they sell the first dollar, let alone the millions of them. You know, and mm -hmm. that really comes down to the planning, the process, the the tasks and activities. Do you find it uh, similar in real estate or are brokers really focused on the planning like you are? Or would you say it's a small percentage that kind of gets that? I think it's a tiny percentage, Mike. I think it's probably less than 5%, but there's a ton of attrition in our industry, right? It's a low barrier of entry to get in. So you have a lot of people who see the big dollar signs and dream that it's home sell themselves and that it's easy work and they get in. And, you know, five years later, over 80% of the people who started are, are long gone. Um, really? And yeah. Yeah. So the people who are successful have that vision, have that business acumen or plan to activate. They understand that selling the first dollar comes down to regular touch points with these people, quality conversations with these people um, and having um, an offering that, you know, whether it's trustworthy or knowledgeable or, you know, something that makes them unique that will put you again, top of mind when they're ready to make that decision. So that's kind of the selling the first dollar. Um, but then there's that kind of why you're doing it. Like, what gets you out of bed every morning? Is it your family? Is it striving to be better? Is it, you know, what, what is it? What's the art and science of what you're doing with your life and why you're, why you are in sales? Yeah. A couple of things. I mean, first off, it was just a joke about the houses selling themselves. Just so we're <laughs> clear on that. I know, I know All how right. difficult it is to sell anything. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that you're here. <laughs> <laughs> Secondly, um, the unique side of what you're talking about is what really interests me. You know, what is unique about us uh, that brings us success in our life is a question that I really like to ask business leaders. And I find that a lot of people struggle with, with what that answer is. You know, what would be unique about Glenn that brings him success? Yeah, that's it's a great question, man, because um, like I look at my field, real estate, and pretty well every agent you ever talk to will talk about three things, and that's knowledge, trust, and experience. And and I know a bunch of realtors that kind of in some shape or form will will 
capture that. And I know that they could all do a great job, but again, what's the difference? And what I've been able to kind of tap into for myself is an understanding of, you know, that it really bothered me, Mike, when people would get taken advantage of in business situations, like a, okay. purchase, a big purchase and that motion would get involved or they would, you know, there'd be a lot of clutter. There'd be like words that people don't understand contracts mm -hmm. rush through this kind of feeling like that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's going too quickly. That's where mm -hmm. I knew I could insert myself, simplify everything, you know, pump the brakes, put a little bit of a uh, buffer between the clients and, and the situation so that the experience is much better. Um, and that, that encompasses if things go smoothly, if there's an issue, follow up, all those kind of things that it's just a better experience than, than what they're seeing right now. So that is the definition of, of your why. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It took some time to kind of circle around that because again, sometimes it's just a simple concept, but it's what gets me out of bed. I like that, you know, sales, helping, you know, guiding people principle that, uh, yeah, it gives me some self self worth there. To to be in service of something bigger than just your paycheck. Yeah, servitude is kind of the word that comes up for me. But um, you know, you need to double click on that. There's different layers layers to that for sure. You know, the why is is critical. You know, sometimes like you you go back to your marketing and the the unique. Uh, you know, selling proposition of a brand or a product. Um, I think the beliefs and the ability to communicate the beliefs are the why, you know, if we translate why for beliefs, that's what the greatest have been able to accomplish. You know, there, there's a great video, uh, Simon Sinek, uh, uh, a TED talk, and he kind of explains the golden rule of business in his mind and he brings up the example of apple and you know talks about how really that's their key is their ability to communicate their belief system clearly to the marketplace is what separates them it, it's not so much the products the you know the components inside of a lot of their products are built by their competition but it's the ability to clearly have that belief enter the marketplace and people with similar beliefs gravitate towards them and business takes place. It's, it's a critical component, the why or the beliefs. Simon, uh, it was pretty interesting. I've read his book and followed him a bit. Um, the one thing I'll talk to your listeners about, though, is it, it comes down to your actions. And I know you're a big proponent of like, leveraging your strengths um mm -hmm. but i i think this is where it, it ties in together because example i could say i'm trustworthy and i could say that over and over in different ways to a client but i i need to prove that through my strengths through my actions it's not something you can tell people right it's mm -hmm. something you can show only through kind of your actions um and through the process so that's a critical piece. A lot of people are like, okay, that's my strength. Just tell people. And it doesn't quite work that way. Yeah, you're totally right about that. Um, you know, d again, depending on the industry that you're selling in, I think that uh, those actions build reputation. 
you know, reputation can can get you in the door and carry you uh, a certain distance, but you then need to again perform those actions in front of the the new client or the client over the years to continue to convince them that you're still the guy or the girl. Yeah, repetition creates reputation. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You bring up the strengths. uh, You know, for me, it it was a big component of learning uh, that led to success in my career. You know, I kind of started out with that uh, get people to like you strategy. And over time, you know, I did okay. I think that I did, I was able to develop a reputation in my marketplace that that led to opportunities uh, that put me in, you know, positions for better roles, better companies. And I think that at some level, it's the service, it's, it's the ability to show up every day and, and take care of your clients that will get you there. But um, the the big learning for me happened when I kind of had a crisis in my life and and ended up in a, a state of severe depression. And coming out of that, you know, one of the things that really started to help me was this looking into identifying and trying to figure out ways that I could leverage my uniqueness, my, you know, individual set of strengths, talents, and then try and fit that in to my why and what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis. So it is actions, but, you know, I find a lot of us struggle to even have a conversation about what's great about us, you know, about what's unique about us, what what our strengths are. Where where do you think that 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 challenge comes from that uh, it's so difficult for us to, to even identify or discuss, you know, what our strengths are? Yeah, I think it's a lot of it is what we learned as a kid and what we see on TV and mm-hmm. and that that um, being braggadocious doesn't come across well. And sometimes discussing kind of mental challenges uh, or hurdles is is a weakness. Um, I, I think that's kind of been part of the the DNA in, in humans for for you know centuries. Now that's changing, um, but change doesn't happen quick on these things. And it, it can often take a, a generation really to kind of uh, be in a position where people are comfortable talking about, you know, their strengths, their weaknesses, what that means to their day, what they need to be successful. So, yeah, I think it's been the influences. And again, I'm positive that things are going to change. The work you're doing, Mike, helps bring that kind of change along. And, and I feel like we're we're getting down the right path on that, but it's gonna it's gonna take some time. It's so cool to me though when you when you really dive into and start to study success, successful people, people that we would consider have have reached the pinnacle of their career. Rarely yeah. do they struggle to talk about the, their strengths. You know, rarely do they have a lack of confidence in themselves and their abilities. You know, and the the fact that it's identified as confidence in those that achieve success, whereas the same person who goes down a similar path and and has all of the talent, but but doesn't put it all together 
at the end of the day, you know, they, they can be looked at as conceited. Like it, it's such a, a fine line with how, how we view ourselves, how, how we view others in the world in terms of them achieving success or not and what path they use to get there. Yeah, I, it's funny because I, I was at a talk not long ago at, at BCIT and they were talking about uh, attributes of successful people um, okay. and more so specifically specific leaders. And one thing that the guy really tapped into, he was the president of the cake up here, um, he tapped into the fact that a lot of great leaders are pretty quirky, right? Like they have these quirks, um, but they they are not shy of it and it becomes part of their identity. I think about, you know, you see someone who doesn't have that confidence, that's shy, that is trying to explain their weakness. And it, it's, it makes you feel kind of poorly for them um, mm -hmm. versus someone who kind of laughs at themselves with that confidence. They just understand that's part of the package. It's not good or bad. It just is what it is. And you kind of, I, I don't know myself, I, I, appreciate that it's like yeah you get that we're not all perfect um that we all have quirks and you just embrace that as part of who you are but i mean the the great leader that that does recognize those quirks and and leans into it again the conversation comes back to the uniqueness you know like it, it's it's the ability of one to recognize what is that unique genius about yourself and then really lean into that. It's it's not an avoidance or a neglect of, of your weaknesses. You know, you, you have to be able to identify those as well. But I think that successful people really quickly identify the weakness and then figure out ways to shore that up and focus as much time and energy as they can on their strengths. And you know, the multiplication of that experience is what, what becomes interesting to me. It's not so much strengths as we think of, you know, this component of ourself is a strength. To me, strengths are more what give you your power. They're what re-energize you. And, and the weaknesses are the things that, that kind of drain you, you know? So regardless of the role that one has, the key component of, of any life's work is you have to do it again and again and again. You know, there's, there's no stopping in the repetitive nature of the tasks and activities of a salesperson's job. You know, you, you have to go out there every day and do similar things. And when we're focused on the things that weaken us as opposed to strengthen us, you can't do it over the long term. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree with that fully. You need to focus on your strengths. Um, well, first of all, you need to understand the whole picture and then to identify your weaknesses, you either cut it out, you surround yourself with people who are stronger at that, or you just make you bet on yourself that focusing on the things you're good at will ultimately get you a better result than focusing on, on the softer or weaker things. Now, I, I agree when you focus on the strengths, it's not the literal kind of focusing on those things that uh, multiply and make you better. It's the fact that you kind of get into the flow of what you're doing and that compounds the success, right? 
So I don't like to do administration. So I find someone who can do that. Now I'm making two or three extra calls during the day. There, um, there's results tied to that. I feel more confident about what I'm doing. I'm, get, I'm checking the list of the inputs. That to me is the flow. That to me is the capitalizing on my strengths. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I do think that there's a difference though between one's strengths and um, skills, let's say. You know, like to me, those things are different. And an example that I like to use is uh, I think that math is a skill. Maybe for the greatest mathematicians in the world, there's a component of strengths that are involved in that skill. But, you know, generally speaking, it's a skill. Uh, I hate math. It's something that drains me. Uh, I really think it's a weakness, you know, as a skill, as time spent in my life. And yet, I'm the person that that does all the budgeting for my family. You know, I, I spend time in an Excel sheet going over the numbers, figuring out what we can do. But to me, it's understanding. So here is a required task or activity that has to take place in my life. So it's something that I'm weaker at. It weakens me, uh, takes away my energy. But if I'm able to identify my strengths, which for me, they're things like, you know, believe it or not, humor, but judgment, uh, prudence, these components of big picture thinking, you know, that yeah. I have a, a, I crave information, the data to be able to make really well thought out long-term decisions to kind of tip the scales in my favor and, and give me a better chance at a result that I'm after. I can do that same task of math, yet using these, leveraging these strengths that I have, and it allows me to get through something that I don't love to do, but I can have success with it because I'm A, able to identify the weakness and also the strength, and then figure out a way to use those strengths to get me through or around that weakness. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of um, like mindset attached to that. You choose to kind of focus on your strengths to get something accomplished. Um, and you come at it from a different angle when you do that, like as opposed to just, I hate this and I'm not good at it. So yeah, I, I agree with you wholly, man, that it's the strengths of uh, understanding those things and then applying them to what is in front of you. Yeah, you know, and when you start to get into the science behind some of this stuff, whether it's mindset, th there's a lot of studies done now that a shift in mindset or perspective has a direct shift in results that happen. You know, the the study of, of one's brain waves, when, when we're living in the state of, of negative or neutral or stressed versus the positive, you know, there's chemical changes in the brain that happen in mm -hmm. the positive that don't exist in kind of that fight or flight, uh, you know, state and, you know, dopamine and these chemicals that flood into our brain when we feel happy or optimistic, they also turn on all the learning centers, you know, so you can make a direct correlation today between growth and potential and, you know, what state of mind or mindset we're, we're living in. 
And all of these things point towards focusing on one's strengths, you know, having a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. So there's this huge, call it a mental health component of having success that isn't a massive part of the conversation, the training, the, you know, the experience uh, of one in a role. And part of the reason that I want to have these conversations is I think as salespeople, we have similar experiences in the job. And when it comes to the challenges of it, I think we kind of develop these tools that help us get through the difficult spots. And that's what I want to share with the world is, is what we can, what we can do to, to help ourselves because nobody else seems to really be focused on it, you know? Yeah. And I think you tap into something really important, Mike. And, you know, again, really appreciative of you kind of putting together the courses and these podcasts to talk about it. I, I think about my career now and like the, the, what part is mental, what part is physical or that, like it's 90% emotional, you know, mm -hmm. like the job itself, writing contracts, there's templates, there's, you know, questions, there's databases to find answers. It's not difficult. And I, I would, I would argue that a lot of sales jobs, like the physical selling of something isn't a big component of it. It's not difficult to fill in an order form once you've got it down and pass the order through to the head office. But the emotional side of showing up, being present, being feeling positive um, is, is critical, you know. And I, you could have a thousand sports analogies. The guy that's in the zone uh, as a baseball player comes to bat he's thinking positively, like he's not thinking, you know, he's, he's thinking like, I'm, I'm going to hit this ball. And yet he, and, he fails 70 plus percent of the time, the best in yeah. the world. That's right. That's right. But he's still approaching it with that understanding and, and exactly. you know, growing and, and coming at it from a positive angle, right. When they're, when they're performing well, I'm sure you could analyze their mind, their mindset at that time. And it would look quite different from the guy who struck out three, four times in a row and, you know, may, might be down on himself. You know, that the, the baseball analogy was something that uh, began to change my perception around cold calling and prospecting in, in my sales career. Because, like, I hate it. I still hate it today. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know who loves it. I, I guess some people do, but uh it's just, it, it feels negative as an experience, you know, like there's a lot of no's out there in the world yeah. and starting to build equations that directly related to my success uh, became interesting and it became measurable and improvable. There's all that side of it, but you know, the, the baseball hitter um, 300 average hall of famer, right? Well, 70% fail rate. Okay. If I can figure out what my close rate is on a new opportunity, uh, you know, now all I have to do is work towards that number. So I don't know what an average industry, you know, prospecting rate is, but let's say 10%, you're, you're doing pretty good. I think, you know, in a hundred opportunities, I'm going to get 10. It wasn't so much the getting of the 10, 
that caused me to procrastinate and not do the work. It was the 90 that I didn't want to experience the nose of. But that subtle shift in mindset again, and being able to understand the math of that, it allowed me to go through it because every no got me closer to one of the 10 yeses that was coming. You know, so it's just a different way to look at it. But a lot of sales is this artistic, you know, nature of people building relationships, showing up in the right mood and and offering a positive experience for people. Some of the some of the math and the science falls off a bit in terms of the systemizing of what you can do with your time in a year. Yeah, I would, you know, in my world, Mike, I'm the same. I hate cold calling. If, if I had to build a business purely through cold calling, I wouldn't be in this industry. But I do understand the math behind, you know, more people equals more connections equals more business. Where I would challenge you, the salespeople listening is to really dive into that again with your strengths. For example, I list a home. I could go door to door and introduce myself. I would hate that. People would hate me knocking on the door. But mm -hmm. it's a different experience if I'm coming with a feature sheet explaining what the house is selling for and just, hey, do you have any questions about the market? That's a totally different conversation, a totally different level of engagement, and a totally different experience for, for both of us. Um, that ultimately probably ends with more business than me just kind of going door to door and, and trying to sell. Yeah, and I... I, I think that I've heard you describe uh, something similar to that in terms of the equation that I built for myself that that drove results was this this mental stability, you know, like you, the emotional component of it and and putting myself in the best position, best mindset, most optimistic frame of mind I could, identifying and leveraging my strengths. And then systemizing the tasks and activities of the inputs that actually drove the sales. That was kind of the, the equation of it. But I've heard you say before, like that, that process, th those activities, they're, they're critical, but there's a difference between being efficient and being effective. You want to dive into that a bit? Well, yeah, for sure. Um, because I think we've covered it a bit today, Mike, talking about how much kind of wasted time there is and the process and all that fits under the umbrella of being um, efficient. And I think a lot of sales leaders talk to that point, like, what are you doing with your time? How many calls? All that kind of uh, discussion is, and there's some importance to that. You can't be none of that. You, you want to be efficient, but being effective is what delivers results. You know, if I, try to get efficiency by limiting my conversations with people to one hour, I'm losing opportunities. Like if that conversation takes three hours, that's kind of what it takes because that's the core of the business. You know, yeah, being efficient with other, other pieces of the business is important, but that relationship between effective, being effective in what you're doing versus just being wholly efficient in, in checking the list is critical again to, to success. I was talking to a buddy of mine, uh, just a big character sales guy uh, down in the States. And um, he, he was, he was telling me about, uh, you know, we were talking about the 
efficiency and the, the weekly reports and, you know, just accounting for one's time. And he said, you know, last week uh, I was out in the country a bit and uh, I got this, this dealer of mine. He's this Amish guy, real nice guy, uh, you know, not a huge account, but, you know, he's pretty consistent, delivers me some decent numbers throughout the year. And uh, he had he had a problem. I had to go and see him and deal with this problem. And I quickly realized, you know, that the number one thing of importance to this guy's life today is that he wants to show me his garden. You yeah. know, so like like I spent 45 minutes walking around and, and I love it. Like I'm a gardener, he says, you know, like I was genuinely interested in what he had to say. But he's like, you know, I get home at the end of the day. It's like, yeah, I can't really put. 45 minutes in the guy's vegetable garden in the, in the weekly report, but it is a requirement to, to keep that customer happy. Like that was effective. You know, that was an effective oh. choice of, of time as opposed to being efficient. A good example, yeah. I think with what you're talking That's to. Great example. Great example. Yeah. 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 What's the biggest challenge in what you do? biggest challenge is just to stay mentally in the game um, because there's a, a ton of highs and lows. Um, mm -hmm. You can have no prospect still sign of a paycheck for, you know, months to come. And then you can get three phone calls in a day that people need to meet right away and, and get, uh, get going on things. So yeah, it's managing the emotional side of the highs and lows and kind of eating that out. And also, when time, well, when it's slow, you know, stay positive and keep working away at the things that will bring success. And then when it's busy, stay positive and work away at the things that are going to bring you success. Like it doesn't matter um, if it's busy or slow, you want to be building that kind of pipeline and having quality conversations and, and still being connected to people. Yeah. I mean, I've heard a guy argue that when you're the busiest, is when you need to make the most time for building the pipeline. When you're yeah, slow, yeah. it's a little late, right? But yeah, uh, yeah, it's yeah. tough tough to keep focused on it when when you're running around, uh, you know, with nothing but opportunities and orders, right? You're trying to close yeah. it. Yeah, it can be a lonely world out there too. Um, you know, we are in what I call co-opetition. You have people in the industry that you know, but you are an independent. So yeah, you know, I came from an industry where we had a pretty tight team and, uh, you know, people would be jacked up seeing each other and lots of talk in the office to kind of, uh, you're, you're on your own now. And, and again, that, that can weigh on the mental side in terms of uh, how you're feeling about uh, the job and how you're feeling about yourself. Just literally, you know, if, if you work uh, eight hours in a day, how many hours do you think you're you're literally alone? Yeah, probably six of those, you know, like yeah. working out of the office and um, yeah, maybe making some calls. But, you know, and the two hours is, is kind of showing people around, but it's, uh, it's still that business um, relationship there. So it's it's not social. It's not working with a group of people and towards a common goal. Yeah, the the feeling of team would be different in your setup. Yeah, you know, for sure. I I don't think it's a lot different than uh, than a lot of 
B2B sales roles that are out there, you know, like I was technically um, part of a team for decades, but I am physically alone, you know, for the majority of the year. You know, there's a yeah. couple of meetings or what have you where you see the rest of your team members, but you're out in a territory, you know, you're you're in your car alone with your thoughts. Uh, you know, that that is what the role is. And this is a big part of what what interested me in in this question around the emotional, the mental, you know, why is it that um Again, we can study uh, successful people. And, um, you know, another sports analogy was uh, Bianca Andreescu, the, the Canadian uh, tennis player who, who won the U.S. Open uh, in 2019, I think it was. And when they interviewed her after the fact, because she, she failed to qualify the year before. And then mm -hmm. less, less than 12 months later, she beats Serena Williams in the final in straight sets and, and wins the championship. And, you know, the announcer was kind of stunned. Like, how do you do something like that? And, um, you know, she talked about all of the, the team and the work ethic and all of the practice. And then she said something that really intrigued me, which was, for me, it's all visualization and meditation. You know, I have been writing myself the winner's check to this tournament my entire life. And I have been visualizing and meditating on this moment right here, standing next to you. And you're asking me these questions. And here I am, you know, and yeah. like, you don't, you don't get like part of the sales training isn't how visualization is going to improve your results as a salesperson. You know, yeah. you're, you're not being taught how to deal with you brought up uh, lonely as a term. I used to see it that way. It's now become isolation for me is a better word. Like you're just, you're kind of by yourself and it's not even so much that you're physically alone, not with team members, but the experience of it is quite isolating. There, there is a lot of challenges that come up and you're dealing with one thing and that thing ends and you need to flip a switch and go into the next client appointment. And those two things can't, you know, touch each other, but you're in the middle and you're affected by both of them. And so this, this feeling of isolation and what it's doing, like, I think we're paying a psychological price that we're not really being educated on how to deal with and how to improve. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, um, you know, talking about kind of that meditation or, um, you know, different people are going to have different feelings about say a word like meditation or oh, yeah. setting yeah. kind of things for sure. I, right? I think and most I just, people think I'm nuts talking about that yeah, in sales. That's a different conversation for another yeah, day. Fair but, enough. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> No, but like I, I put my hand up. I meditation. Are you crazy? Like I sit around and think about nothing. Like I don't know what you're talking about. But I, when I I was running quite a bit, and I went to a running clinic, and they talked about like a vision board, and it was part of the course. Okay, whatever. So let's do that. And it really did show me the concept of what I call planting seeds, right? Like this idea of like where I want to be, and kind of popping that in the back of your brain. 
don't put too much importance on it. Don't worry too much about what the path looks like to get there. And the fact that it's in the back of your brain, that dream, that goal, that whatever, will guide you down the right road subconsciously to get there. And it, it was a big leap for me to really understand that. And a lot of it had to do with just kind of how it was presented to me, right? It mm -hmm. wasn't the Dalai Lama coming to me in my visions. It was some guy that was a big runner that knew how, that this could be positive for him. So, you know, that sense of uh, understanding that goals can be set without knowing that direct journey was important, but also just surrounding yourself with good people, right? Right. Like, and having some sort of support group. Like for me at work, I meet once a month with two other realtors who are kind of, you know, the fact that we're in the same industry allows us to kind of bounce ideas off each other and really understand the struggles and maybe uh, ideate a few ideas for each other that kind of builds that confidence. Um, and then internally, I got, you know, good friend support, people like yourself, my wife, Lisa, um, you know, Try not to lean so much on those relationships with the work part because, you know, sometimes they can be an, an ear, but they're not as entwined in it. So the details of it can lose them. But just the fact that they're there listening, knowing you've had a bad day, a good day, celebrating, celebrating the wins, you know, that's important too. So surrounding yourself with that, that team, um, I'd say is, uh, is something that the people who are listening um, can, can really work on to, to build their confidence. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the mental stability component of my equation really took a leap forward for me when I started to look into positive psychology and, and began to understand where the majority of, of our success actually comes from. And, you know, I was, I was a little bit shocked uh, to find out that my optimism levels, the strength of my social support network and my ability to see stress as a challenge instead of an obstacle related to three quarters of all success I'll have in my life, you know, and you, you look at the people systems, you know, the structure of how we hire people, how we promote people, how we measure people, you know, it's a lot of words like intelligence, experience, skills, you know, their, their aptitude, there's a focus on a grouping of, of components of ourselves, which are required for success. Like we need to have work ethic, you know, we need to have relationships in, in sales, a, a set of components that are required for success. But it's interesting when you consider that at best, all of these things that we see as important are affecting 25% of, of whether we're successful or not. And then there's this, this huge component, you know, of for me described as mental stability that really affects it, that there's little focus on. And, you know, when you brought up your, your group of, uh, of two other agents that you sit down with, um, and building out that social support network for yourself. Like that's essentially what that is. And then the recognition of, you know, you, you're kind of in the middle of a, a bunch of circles and, you know, your spouse is, is right next to you, your family, and you get into these, these work um, relationships that are a little further away from you. But there's an argument to be made that, that there's, 
more success to be had as a support network without the the emotional connectedness of some of the most important relationships that we have in our life, you know? Did that group that uh, that that you sit down with, is that something that happened organically or that was developed by yourself? How, how did that come about? Yeah, um, we had a course from a general manager um, uh, and he was talking a lot about, again, how you show up to your job um and he was deep into kind of the coaching of, okay. of uh, agents um and the spin-off of that was getting together and and working in a what they call a triangle and, and working on your coaching skills but um i like the idea of connecting with people so we evolved that a bit more from just the coaching piece to kind of uh, business personal kind of check-in and so again we start off each um, session with reviewing what we talked about last time, bringing up new challenges, new wins, and then end with kind of what we're going to be accountable for uh, 30 days later. Yeah, that's that's been important. And, you know, further to your comment, Mike, like, that's just the reality. Not everyone in your life can deliver 100% of what you need. You, you need to get out there and, and find these connections that can complete the pie. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And you know, when we talked about the biggest challenge and, and you brought up just sort of, you know, staying in it emotionally and we, we veered a bit into that, that feeling of isolation, any, any tools you've developed over your career that help you deal with that, that feeling of you're kind of on the Island by yourself and, you know, you're, you're going it alone, uh, in a lot of scenarios in sales. Yeah, you know, I, I think um, over the last few years, um, as I've kind of thought a lot more about mental health, as there's been more resources, um, as I kind of tapped into that 90% mental, 10% kind of work yeah. formula, I came to the realization, Mike, like, if you're not there mentally, like, stop wasting your time, right? It's uh, the old uh, analogy is like, if you find yourself in a hole, stop digging, yeah. right? Like, yeah. You need to, and that's what, when I'm feeling kind of not on or down or, you know, anxious or depressed about something, I need to step away from it and work on, um, it's Schultz on Netflix right now. He talk, talks about working on your life force, right? Okay. And that's like yeah. exercise and sleep and eat better. And like, I know everyone's heard all these things, but um, I've lived it. Like working on those things will boost up your life force and when you then re-engage in your work you're going to have far more success so you know finding those things that uh, that are mentally healthy for you um, and things that you can do on a consistent basis um, and that you get some enjoyment out of are, are critical to success going back to the beginning and and talking about the the physical components of the job not being that difficult, you know, generally speaking. Something that I find interesting with regard to my mental health, there's so little of the job that can't be delayed, that, that can't yeah. be postponed. Like, yeah, oh, I've got a super important meeting and da-da-da-da. Yeah, I mean, it could be tomorrow just as easily. You know, I know it's all set up. I know 
you know, yeah, there's some stuff. Uh, maybe you're given a presentation, you've got lunch ordered, there's 30 people showing up. Okay, you know, there's some things. But, you know, when I'm not feeling myself, uh, a tool that I developed that really helped me was I didn't go to work. You know, I, mm. I stayed home. And there's days, you know, dealing with depression where I didn't want to get out of bed. And going back to, you know, what we learn as, as kids and the environment we grow up in, like, it's unacceptable, you know, but I really got to a point of giving myself a break with my mental health and, and not being my, my biggest enemy, you know? And so I, I'd stay home, I'd still work, but I would just do it every two hours for 30 minute segments. You know, I'd pick up the phone every couple of hours and whatever had to be dealt with would be dealt with in 30 minutes. And then I'm going for a walk or I'm, I'm spending time with my daughter or whatever it was that would help lift me out of the hole that I found myself in rather than trying to force it and go back again today when I'm not there mentally and dig that hole deeper, like you say. Yeah, you touched on something that I think is super important, Mike, and that um, that is the conversation you have with yourself. Um, and I think people who are struggling, uh, that conversation is brutal, right? Like people are yeah. so hard on themselves and, you know, my parents did it this way or if I don't do this, I'm, I'm going to be done. But like, it's funny because a lot of people that are in that position don't talk to others that way. They give others more leeway. Um, there's more understanding and you know the only the advice I could give your listeners is just like be kind to yourself during those times and, and think like how you can get better like don't just keep beating yourself up like what can you do you know break some paradigms that you think you know for myself I, I, I think about my parents would like be up at six or seven every morning I was lazy bugger as a teenager but, yeah. you know, I knew I learned over time, I'm just more effective working in the late afternoons, evenings. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I embrace that and, and kind of build the day around that. And, and that's, that's brought success in, in different ways. So yeah, be, just be kind to yourself. Like, it's, uh, yeah, find, find ways to get better as opposed to using that energy to, to beat up on yourself. I don't know where I saw this, but um it was a graph that showed the time that you spend with people in your life, you know, yeah. so you, you, your spouse, your children, your parents, uh, workmates far and away. The person you spend the most time with is yourself alone, you know, over your lifetime. And then I saw another one where a guy was saying, uh, the person you talk to most in your life is far and away yourself, you know? So yeah, the conversation that we can have with herself and um, we were talking with, with one of my wife, Claudia's aunts, and uh, it was kind of this visualization, you know, creation of, of better circumstance, wealth. Like we, we were explaining to her, about uh, how we accomplished getting out of a lot of debt 
and mm-hmm. being able being able to afford to go to South America and get married and have this big long holiday and everything and is like if you looked at the math of things it was an impossibility but we were able to make it happen and a yeah, lot well, of you, you were running the Excel spreadsheet so of course right not at that time I wasn't um, <laughs> okay okay I don't even know if I knew what Excel was at that time <laughs> Claudia and I've been together over thirty years now but anyways. <laughs> The interesting part of the conversation to me was like, she just couldn't wrap her head around thinking differently than paycheck to paycheck. Like this has been her whole life experience is how are we possibly going to pay the mortgage next month? You know, so it, it comes down to beliefs. Like, do you really believe it or not? Do you believe in yourself or not? And she said, ah, That's the hard thing. Hey, believing in yourself, like, and she brought up how every day she comes home and she plugs in all of her devices and turns on all of her lights or whatever uses electricity. And once a month she gets the bill from the electrical company and she's never questioned, you know, this information, like how many kilowatt hours she's never done any math. She doesn't know these people. She never will believes it. 100%, 100%, like not even a doubt, you know, but to believe in yourself, you know, and again, that, that, that vision of the social support where you're kind of in the middle of a pond with ripples of, of your support network moving away from yourself. So many things in life, the closer we get to ourselves, the, the harder and harder it is to believe in oneself or to be kind to oneself or it's an interesting concept, you know, but yeah, we do have to give ourselves a break. And uh, I mean, if you can't champion yourself, like who's going to. Yeah. That's exactly the point I was going to make. Like how often are people really pumping your tires? Like it takes special people to do that. And I would say that's a huge tool for sales guys out there. Like I've had it in my life where you're talking to someone and you could just tell, like it's not registering right? You know, or it's not going the way you want. And just, just pause, like, just, Hey, can we just, I'm feeling like we're not on the same page. Can we take a step back? Right? Like, I just want to let you know, like, you've been doing a ton of great work. You're, you're down the right path. Like, it's going to be good. Like, it's going to be good. You're doing the right things and kind of just talking to them about how they feel about themselves. Um, and tapping into a different level, like less transactional and more emotional, goes a long way. It really does. Um, yeah. And I think we respond to that well when we when we have that kind of input about people, you know, patting you on the back or have you thought about kind of how far you've come. Um, it, it can be really powerful. You know, one of the one of the forefathers of the positive psychology movement, uh, Dr. Martin Seligman. He talks about a concept, which I think would be an incredible improvement for sales managers to consider active, constructive listening. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the experience of, of getting the win, getting the order, getting the PO and there's the pat on the back or the email, or maybe even the phone call from the boss. Hey, great job. But it's, it's again, a subtle shift in approach of like, where were you when you received the order? 
You know, what did they say to you? Who called you? Like this ability to let them relive the win again. Psychologically, you can convince your brain that you've you've had two wins with the exact same yeah. situation, you know? So again, that's, uh, I just think there's so much more that we can do uh, to not only support ourselves and those around us, but it's just a willingness to, to talk about this stuff, you know, like that's all that I'm after. Like today with you, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, just your, your point there about kind of reliving those moments in detail and, and kind of feeling the emotions that were there at that time. You know, a lot of people now, when it comes to mental health, talk about gratitude and feeling um, the gratitude for what you have in your life. And again, that helps change the conversation in your brain from this sucks and, uh, you know, this is terrible and this is wrong to, you know, I had a really good conversation with Mike today. You know, I, I made, I did the three things that I wanted to do. I got out for a walk, like, and just kind of absorb yourself in those positives that can really help switch things from kind of that negative self-talk to, you know, things are going to be okay. Well, and it, it's scientifically proven now, like the, the study of the brain, the function of the brain and what they've learned in the last year, the last decade compared to, you know, the annals of history, like it's light years of understanding that's being developed every day right now. And with what you're talking about with gratitude, we can actually change the way that we perceive the outside world by focusing on our gratitude. Like it will shift your brain's ability to recognize the positive in the world if you focus on reminding yourself what positive things happened to you today that you're grateful for, you know, and these, these tricks are quite subtle. They're simple. It's, uh, you know, three things every day that you're grateful for, write them down, you know, and, um, put them into the physical world outside of just planting the seeds that you were bringing up in our mind, you know, um, reach out to somebody inside your social support network and just tell them how much you appreciate them, how much they mean to you, you know, try doing that once a day for three weeks. And not only will you feel better about yourself, will you feel more positive with yourself because you're, you're giving to other people, but start telling people how great they are. And they'll just tell you how great you are back. Like it's a human condition, you know, so we can, we can subtly improve these things, but the end goal of what's possible because of the multiplication towards the positive and stopping the multiplication of the negative, like it, it's infinite yeah. the improvement. The, cha- the challenge is uh, the uh, instant gratification isn't there, but if you work it into your daily routines um, and add that to some faith, which we talked about, the belief that things will happen positively, you put those three things together, give yourself a month, think positively about it, I guarantee you're going to have results. I guarantee it. Yeah, formidable formidable yeah for sure glenn jessup uh hardest working uh, realtor in vancouver all the effort that he puts into his sales but really appreciate you man um one of the best that i've come across in my life and uh you know again 
if we could just find enough people that are willing to have this conversation about the intersection between our mental health and how it directly relates to the sales results. You know, if, if we can be open to a different way to look at the job that's happened for centuries uh, that will also encompass the emotional and the mental along with the physical, um, I think we could really make a difference in the world. So I really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. We'll do it again in the future. Yeah, thanks, Mike. I appreciate uh, your friendship, man. I love what you're doing here. I encourage your listeners to go check out more of your stuff, check out your courses. Um, if you have the desire to just feel better and do better, and you really want that for yourself, um, I know I know you can help people on that front. So, yeah, thanks, Mike. You betcha. Uh, so once again, thanks for listening to The Depressed Salesman. We will see you in the next podcast. 